Let us pray. Holy One, healing God, you come among us in flesh and bone. You have come and walked the road we have to walk. We thank you for being with us, for being a God that doesn't stand far off but comes near and experiences all that we feel and know as human beings. Give us each grace now to hear what it is you have to say by your Spirit. Minister among us your healing touch even now. And we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen. All around us are patterns of letting go, especially in the natural world. These patterns of death giving way to new life. This time of year in particular, the trees could be our teachers. They've already begun their yearly letting go of their leaves, reaching bare branches into the coming winter. Even the pines drop some of their needles and put on some fresh ones in the spring. And likewise, even our skin, the outer layer is um, shedding and dying without our even knowing it, without our noticing And just as with Daryl's example at the beginning of our series, each time a scab forms, the old skin has to die and fall off, be released, in order to reveal the new skin that is growing underneath. And this pattern of healing in our bodies and this pattern of making way for new life in the world around us seems to hold true at the relational and spiritual levels as well. Have you noticed this? Even when something relatively small is bothering us, we have this intuitive sense that if we release it, or we say get it off our chest, in a sense, we don't even feel well until we tell someone, until we um, maybe... or journal about it, but in some way get it out there, get it sort of out of us, and let it pass through almost like a toxin that needs to um, be flushed from our system. And Jesus says those that lose their life will find it, and those who want to save their life will lose it. And we don't really talk a whole lot about what that means. But we know there is this necessary dying in following Jesus. And he himself has to learn the practice of letting go, even as he has spent his life setting others free. In fact, it seems that his letting go is essential 
to this trajectory of God's big dream of universal healing and well-being that we see in Revelation and in the prophetic visions, some of which Titus quoted the other week. In this reading we heard from the Gospel of Mark, we see Jesus' moment of truth in the Garden of Gethsemane. This act of letting go, this release of what he wanted in that moment to save his life, is the letting go that allows all the events of that night, Maundy Thursday, Good Friday, Holy Saturday, and eventually, thank God, Easter Sunday, to unfold. And uh, maybe at this point, you know, we talk about it as if it's a foregone conclusion. Maybe it was necessary. It was inevitable. Some would say it was preordained. But reading Mark 14, it doesn't really feel like a done deal. I mean, it doesn't feel like a sure thing when you're reading what Jesus is praying and what he's going through. He comes to the garden and is realizing this is where his path of love has led him. This is the consequence of his table fellowship with all of the wrong people as well as with people in power and influence. He throws himself on the ground, and he is here on the ground pleading because he has loved so recklessly, because he has spoken so boldly about God's reign in which everyone has a chance to turn and be saved or healed. He finds himself in mortal danger because he has lived in a way that demonstrates that all those who have more power or more um, money or influence than they need will have to give something up or will need to release something in order for everyone to have enough. He finds himself asking God to take away this bitter cup because he's found that the spacious love of God is just too much for people, and now they want him dead. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet? Now, if we think of this, again, in really human terms, letting go seems like kind of the least likely response in that kind of situation. I mean, imagine what that would even feel like in his body. He's probably having a fight-or-flight response, as he's praying and he's feeling more and more isolated as he goes back and finds these guys sleeping and is praying again. And just like any of us, he's feeling afraid. He's agitated. He's resistant. He's bargaining, just like the rest of us when we see the end coming. And yet, somehow in the midst of his tightening chest, and his breaking heart, he's able to pray, your will be done. Somehow, he's able to release his very life. What was it that allowed Jesus to let go at this crucial moment? 
I think that he was practicing his whole life long. I mean, if we think he had the example of his mother, first of all, who must have told him the story of Gabriel's visit and her reply, let it be to me, as you have said. What did she have to release in order to be able to say that yes to God at that moment? I mean, her reputation and Joseph's, for starters. What else might have prepared him for this relinquishment, this giving himself, even into death at this point? Throughout his life, his practice of over and over giving himself into the loving presence and the call of God. His practice in prayer of entrusting himself and his very life to God. His practice of relying on the hospitality of strangers. That certainly takes some trust. His practice of not worrying about appearances, of letting go of the expectations of his constituency. He spent his life letting go of the things that keep us closed off to the coming kingdom of God or the things that keep us too cluttered to see it and welcome it. Cynthia Bourgeau writes that although Jesus managed to scandalize just about everyone at some point, he still went his way, giving himself fully into life and death. And his, di- his idea of dying to self was through a radically squandering everything he had and was, telling these stories of extravagant generosity, giving approval to this woman who wasted her jar of costly ointment. Over and over, he modeled an economy of love poured out at the same time staying in touch with the endless supply of this love. And even though letting go is probably the hardest thing for us to do, especially when we're faced with profound loss, it seems that healing always includes relinquishing. God's process for making things whole requires releasing what keeps things broken. And the divine process of healing or saving this world and us seems not to bypass pain, but to go straight through it. When Jesus shows up unannounced in the disciples' locked room and greets them with peace, How is it that they recognize him? It's after he shows them his wounds. It says, then they rejoiced when they saw the Lord. And because he has made this choice, not being forced, but with willingness, having gone through the darkest valley a person can walk, having felt the pain of death, having become this high priest that can now sympathize with our weaknesses. He stands before them and has the authority to dare to speak peace to them. 
And they are able to receive the power of the Spirit because they know that he's been through. He's released himself into death and trusted everything to God. And here he stands alive. As the Father has sent me, he says. And how did the Father send him? He was sent to heal, to bring good news to the poor, to release the captives, to reveal God to us in the very act of letting go, letting go of the outward signs of status and loving without conditions, except it seems that loving that flagrantly really gets you misunderstood. And if we are sent to heal and teach and show the boundless love of God as Jesus did, without reservation, we are being sent to love in a way that will lead us through many times of releasing and through many deaths. And yet, even at this point, God practices releasing. Just as God does not force Jesus to go to the cross, like a parent, God also releases us. Just like a parent releases adult children, God leaves space for us to choose, not forcing, but allowing us to choose the freedom of life in the Spirit. And yet we resist. We do have ways of practicing this. We practice letting go of possessions on a regular basis, maybe, if you have a habit of cleaning out your closet. We try not to cling to our money, but to give it freely. And then more often than not, as many of you have experienced, it's that process that nobody wishes for, of going through some pain or loss that gives us a push toward a deeper letting go. Sisters and brothers, I am very aware that many of you, and maybe most of you, could speak much more poignantly than I about the depths of loss and grief. You have known grief in your bones. You have known it up close and at length. You faced death that came much, much too soon and death that felt like a relief. And the sadness and the absence that clings to you or at other times a great wave that breaks over you without warning. And what have you experienced of letting go in this long and slow process of grieving? I hope and I trust that you have shared this with each other at some level. Because when we are able to open ourselves to each other and say, this is, this is what that was like for me, and here's, here's where I went much deeper with God than I ever thought I could, that allows us to know not only that we're not alone in that grieving, but 
also to encourage one another to continue that hard path of letting go. That path that we all resist, that Jesus himself resisted, but that is somehow built in to the process of healing and whole-making. Whether it was a loss of a person or a place that you loved or some part of yourself that felt lost to you, how does this painful learning, this learning to release, prepare us to continue to open ourselves to love, to offer the love of God more freely, and to be set free at the time of our own death? And also, like Jesus, the way that he loved, not only the way that he died, but the way that he loved was a a letting go of his own um, agenda, maybe, his own personal desires. How have your commitments to love deeply also given you some practice in letting go? I mean, most of you are married. That's got to be a whole lot of letting go. And then how do you pass that on, that learning? And how can we continue to experience God as one who so freely gives and receives and doesn't hold back? You've heard probably of the Trinity spoken of as a dance, that between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, there's this ever-flowing giving and receiving of love. Nothing held back and nothing closed off. What would happen if we actually experienced God that way? What kind of healing might take place? This is about a willingness, a choosing to release and let go. And friends, let us be clear, there is nothing coerced about this. This is important. This is a crucial point because if you, if you think of this and, and you're feeling coerced or controlled or manipulated or forced to give yourself in any way, that's, that's not God. That's abuse or that's violence. And that is opposed to the movement of God. What I'm describing is inwardly gentle. And though it might be painful at an emotional level and a psychological level, it's, it's gentle. Even though we resist it, it's inwardly chosen, this release. It's a small movement, like a slight disturbance of the surface of a lake. It's giving up the fight. The struggle stops and you are returned to the center of being the place where god constantly gives and receives love without end is it possible that even when we're in pain whether physical or psychological or emotional and when healing is partial at best Is it possible 
we can still know in the depths of our being that we are not alone in that pain. The more I trust that the more we choose not to deny or run from our own pain, the more we can also let each other know that we're not alone. Can we open ourselves in trust enough to experience that the flow of God's love is ever toward us, that God is for us and for our good, And yet, not the God that human beings have wished for from the beginning of time, a God that swoops in and takes over and offers a quick fix. Cultivating this kind of trust is surely the practice of a lifetime. And so let us take some time to practice that even now. I believe that these kinds of practices of trusting and letting go involve our whole being, which includes our bodies, which we're not generally very comfortable with. But if you're willing, I ask you, and if you are comfortable, I ask you to stand and close your eyes. We're going to do a very, very simple body prayer, and then we'll do a little bit of centering. And first, just do a very simple stretch, just up, arms up in the air if you can, reaching for the sky, and down. Take a deep breath from your lowest belly, and take another one. Please notice any part of your body that is tense, any place of resistance within you, continue to breathe deeply. Okay, you can have a seat. And now ask that you would in, um, take a few moments in quiet. Um, Open your hands, um, be as relaxed as you can, continue to breathe deeply, and see if you're able to open, continue to open to the flow of God's love coming toward you, breathing within you, and letting go of thoughts and questions that come simply gently, very gently, letting them go. And we'll just take a minute or two in silence.
If you'll take your green hymnal and turn to sing the journey, uh, number 14. Number 14. <laughs> 